Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 287, our seventh anniversary. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers over this last seven years for helping us bring you 287 episodes. All right, Anthony, we have a lot to celebrate on this episode. We are talking about the best of the year, reflecting the before time when we actually got to the table (laughs) and got to play games. And my friend, my dear, dear friend, somehow, some way, it's been seven years. It's crazy. I don't. And you know what? I think part of it, too, because it is crazy. Seven years is a long time. But we're in a time vortex right now where time doesn't make any sense. So nope, not even a little bit. You know, the last week could have been seven years for all I know. And yet at the same time, seven years sounds like I mean the last five months feels like that long, so seven years must feel like fifty, right? We were just talking about this before the podcast began, which was we're going through the last year of all these different episodes and everything that we covered. And somehow, again, probably because twenty twenty has been so twenty twenty this the spreadsheet that we use the only thing that we use to kind of manage what we're going to talk about said 2019 <laughs> across it oh man maybe it's just some part of our brains being like can it can it be last year please so even digital inanimate objects want it to be 2019 so we will actually be going through 2020 and 2019 all the way back a whole year looking at our favorite at the tables, acquisition disorders, and especially our favorite features. So stick with us because that feature review is going to be fantastic. But Anthony, before we get into all of that kind of fun stuff, let's talk about what our listeners are talking about. What's our question of the week? All right, question of the week, because we're technically in the middle of uh, convention season, you know, whatever that means. In a parallel universe. <laughs> and this is usually like that midpoint of the year where we're like, okay, so uh, what were all the best games that came out the first half of the year? And then we'll look at all the convention stuff at the end of the year. That doesn't really work for 2020, but we're going to pretend and just do it anyways, because I don't know. Content <laughs> ideas are hard, you guys. <laughs> so I asked everybody, what is your game of the year so far for 2020 among those already released? So a, a simple question, right? Nothing complicated here, except... <laughs> It's, it's 2020. 2020. Yeah, yeah. All right. So some of the games uh, the people mentioned, Brian mentioned his girlfriend's pick is Nova Luna. Very nice. He specifically has not won against her yet, but keeps coming back. Because she's awesome. Absolutely. Nova Luna is a great game, so I could definitely see that. Uh, his own pick is Tricarion, uh, marrying theme and gameplay so well. It's not really new, but I'm sure it's new to a lot of people because the Kickstarter, the second one, shipped out. First half of the year. Kyle mentions The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine, The Kenner Spiel winner. Yup. <laughs> a great game. Uh, it's up there for me. It's definitely in my top 10 for the year. Scott mentions It's a Wonderful World. I have not played this. You played this, right? Yeah. It's kind of a Seven Wonders-esque future modern kind of situation, but it's pretty abstract. It's a good game. Uh, Scott mentions uh, it would have been his 2019 game of the year if it had gotten a general release before the end of the year, but I think it came out like January 10th, and that's on Mars. So every year there's like one 
big game that comes out in the first or second week of January. And everybody's like, I don't remember if that's this year or last year. And it never wins anything because everybody forgets about it. Yeah. This year it's on Mars. (laughs) This is up there for me too, I think. Yeah, same here. Uh, Francesco also mentions on Mars as well as Smartphone Inc. and Traintopia. Oh, absolutely. Smartphone Inc. is tricky because this technically came out like two years ago, but the vast majority of the world just got it now. So, yep. (laughs) With the poor exception of me. But if you do see a copy, let me know because I definitely want to get that to the table again. Yeah, it's supposed to hit normal distribution soon, like this month soon. So hopefully. Corey mentions Etten as well as on Mars. And Chad mentioned 18 Chesapeake, which is a entry-level 18 double X game that I think is great. I've only played it online. I haven't played the my physical copy yet, but it's it's a very good 18XX if you're getting into it. Very cool. So yeah, there's a some of the games that came out early this year. The list is not very big, as you can imagine. And part of that is a lot of games have gotten delayed, a lot have gotten pushed back, Kickstarters are shipping late. Some games just aren't getting a lot of talk because mm-hmm they're hard to get to the table you'll you'll notice most of the ones that were mentioned here can be played solo or close to or they're like light to play with family yes i don't think that's a coincidence at all so probably on mars or smartphone inc as well those two are among my favorite games i've played in the last year or so i don't think anything else really jumps out at me but again like most of the stuff getting played in the last five months is stuff i can play with my family or stuff i can solo so it, it does cut a few things out yeah, I think On Mars has been extraordinary. I remember backing that and getting that to the table and rushing over at PAX Unplugged and just just jumping into that. And like we're all sitting at the table, me and his other gamers, and we became quick friends because we were trying to figure the game out as the game teacher was trying to figure the game out. So we were like, yeah, I think he meant this by that. I think Vital meant this and that, and I don't know. Yeah, it seems like this is a mechanic from this other game. So... It's a pretty special experience. Obviously, Smartphone Inc. was a game that we had, you know, barely ever heard a whisper of. And it was going unplayed for the the entire convention until I dragged everybody over. And it was fantastic, but I only played it that one time. So can't really lay into it. I guess, and this was already mentioned, that your carry-on collector's edition was pretty amazing. I mean, it was you know, Mind Clash Games does a wonderful job with their productions. And this was just a lot more stuff in the box. And it was a lot more great stuff. So, yeah, a lot of great games. The only thing I'll add to that list, and it's kind of maybe a a placeholder, is Fort. I got Fort in the mail about two hours ago and immediately rushed, opened it up, you know, went to punch it. Everything's already punched. (laughs) Went to start reading the rule book. And it's been a while that I've been so excited to actually get a game to the table. And it just has that joyful kind of spirit to it. Plus, it kind of looks like Glory to Rome, but light. So, yeah, I think that's definitely going to find a place in my uh, best of 2020. But we'll see. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners. If you would like to jump in and let us know what you're playing or hoping to get to the table, please hit us up on all of our social media channels especially Facebook, where our question of the week is up each and every week. If that's not your way of going about things, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We also have a channel on YouTube. Probably don't know about that, but you can listen to every episode on there. And, of course, wherever you listen to podcasts, your podcast player, 
drop us a review. We would love to hear from you because this is why we do the podcast. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that everyone got to the table in 2020. Let's talk about the games that we want to get to the table. And let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right, acquisition disorders. So uh, mine's really simple because there's no information about this game other than, than it exists. Uh, this <laughs> like they haven't released anything. I was actually just trying to look this up before the show, and I'm like, wait a second, there's no information here. Dune Imperium. Yes, this is a deck building and worker placement game set uh-huh. in the world of Dune. Sure. Interesting enough, right? I was never. I've played the Dune board game once. It was a bad experience because people that game is a it's broken. I mean, we all know it's broken. That's part of the fun of it, right? It's from 1970-something, and when they updated it for the new version, they didn't change the rules at all. They just, here's the game, and now it's pretty, right? (laughs) Um, And it is, and it was fun, but we were done in like 30 minutes because someone won the game almost immediately because one of the victory conditions just happened to fall into their lap, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. You're like, oh, it's this kind of game. Okay. So I was a little disappointed, uh, to say the least, and I don't, it's, Everybody's like, oh, you got to play it again because that's, you know, that happens. But now you know not to let it happen. And I'm like, eh, I think I'm good. It's like Fury of Dracula. Like, I know that if the game goes well, it's probably really good. But if there's a chance it's not going to go well, and then that's what happens. I don't don't know. (laughs) So that's the Dune board game. I know a bunch of you are like screaming into your uh, phones right now. Like, you're a moron. But it just... I don't know, not for me, but I love the theme. This is a fantastic book, and I'm really looking forward to the new movie. And so the fact that they're making another game based on Dune, when two years ago we thought we would never see anything ever again with Dune because of the licensing issues. So this is amazing. And then it's coming from Direwolf, who did Clank, which, while not my favorite deck-building game in the world, is still a solid game. It's very well made. It's very well structured. It uses the board in a clever way, which a lot of deck builders try to do and don't do very well. So I want to see what they do with this. I think it'll be really cool. And I don't know that they've done a lot of other games outside of the clank universe. I think it's just a whole bunch of clank. And then some, there was like some deck builder or quick card game tie in with an app they did. Yeah. I'm excited to see what they do with this. That's about all we know is that it exists. The movie comes out in December. Well, the movie was supposed to come out in December. We'll see what's happening with everything in the world. Um, so my hope is that the game's almost done and we'll get to see it soon. Yeah, I'm a big Dune fan. I go way back to the days where sci-fi was thought of as a kind of children's pursuit. And my dad took me to see Dune in the movie theater and it was not at all a Star Wars-esque type of movie. So yeah, that was a thing. But since then I've kind of recovered and i'm a huge lynch fan so it did not spoil me or sway me negatively in any way i do actually still like the film quite a bit and i think there's a lot of good stuff there so if you haven't watched lynch's movie back in the 80s definitely definitely check it out it is 80-ish so to speak but it's definitely kind of thrives and really enjoys that kind of aesthetic i saw this pop up and i was super excited because as you mentioned the dune board game kind of came out should have been the biggest thing on the planet honestly and because they didn't change and revise the rules and kind of tweak things it was like oh well like that's nice that's nice that they re-released it 
And, you know, I have Rex, which again, I'm not a big 40K fan, but I have Rex. So I do have a kind of tweaked version of Dune. Not to say that it is Dune, the board game, but nonetheless, I hope to play it someday. But I, I guess probably be along the lines of you, Anthony. I think I might be, you know, somewhat disappointed with the uh, gameplay experience. That being said, really looking forward to it. And really, it's 2020. So as long as something just exists in reality, I think we should give it an award. Yeah. If they if they release it, woo! Top 10. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to back this. I'm not a huge Clank fan. I like Clank. But as you said, they've done well by deck building kind of movement on the board kind of situation. So yeah, I'm all for this. So I want to talk to you about two Kickstarters that are currently running they're both a little odd, but both pretty interesting. First up is Lunar Base. Now, Lunar Base is a first-time game from a brand-new designer. And what we're looking at here is an abstract tableau builder using these really unique cards that kind of combo together when you place them and based upon how you place them together. So you start the game, you have this one-station card, it's basically your plan of operations. It's hidden, so you don't know all the symbols that are on it. And then there's other cards. There are module cards that have, again, have this kind of like interlocking situation where these little spears, how you kind of put them together, if they match up in colors, red will give you a discount, blue will give you a discount, gold gives you money, and gray is wild. There are these agent cards that will kind of do different special effects. They don't they don't go into the tableau, but they kind of add to the game. And then there's influence cards that change the rules of the game when they're out. And if you're able to collect all four, you win the game. Now, there's multiple wins. There are multiple ways to win the game, including the influence cards. There's also if you get 20 credits. And there are two other ways based upon the modules, which is like population and special technologies, the red and blue symbols I was talking about earlier. So when I saw this, I love the aesthetic of it. I love the artwork here. I love tableau builders and I do love space. So this had all of the things that I was really interested in. Because it's a first time designer, because it's someplace way off, I'm not 100% sure about backing it just to make sure that they actually get the project out. And also, when I did watch the, the gameplay, you know, walkthrough, since you are drawing cards, it is a lot of chance based on what you get into your hand. So you might get something that does not match up, or you might pull together a lot of the special influence cards and just like, oh, I got two influence cards. Oh, there's one on the board. Now I have three, and I'm going to draw my cards. There's four. There's the game. So... There's a possibility here where this fantastic game may not be able to live up to what it looks to be just because when you're playing with random draws, you know, you could have a bad day or a good day or this game could last 10 minutes. And it's kind of a shame, but I definitely still highly recommend taking a look at it. It will back on Thursday, September 3rd. So check it out. It's already going to back based upon the money it's raised. I'm still on the fence on this, but maybe this is something that you'd like to jump in on. Also, what I want to talk about really quickly is another kind of interesting game that I'm not sure about. I'm on the fence here, too. This is from Gray Fox Games. This is Arcana Rising. It's a card drafting, engine building game. So, again, tableaus, my friend, tableaus and drafting and all that kind of fun stuff. So, what this kind of boils down to 
is a very abstract kind of set collection game. What it looks to be or what it tries to be is this really interesting kind of mythical game where you're putting together all these magical powers and based upon all the symbols you get together, you get to pull off some really cool combos. What really drew me to this game, other than the really interesting graphic design and artwork here, is that with this Kickstarter, you will get exclusive abacuses that allow you to score the different counters on your tableau. I just never thought in my life that I would actually see these actually come into a game. And first I laughed at it. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is actually pretty brilliant because I haven't seen these in any other games. And they actually look pretty cool. I don't know how they would actually work in the game. I would love to get like a preview copy just to see if it's really needed, if it's if it works. Now, if you don't back the Kickstarter, you don't get them, which again, I don't know if that's a necessarily a bad thing because basically it's just counting up, you know, the points in, in this kind of game. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's pretty out there. And you know what? Sometimes that's what Kickstarters have to be. They have to be pretty much out there. Yeah, I don't know if it would ever be enough to get me to back it just to get the abacus, but it's cool to look at. I would love to play a game with an abacus. Yeah. Uh, it's completely pointless, but I <laughs> I love the fact that they went for it. Yeah, and I, and I think that's something, you know, every once in a while you have to do. You do have to have the wacky components. You do have to have the interesting gameplay mechanics or something that draws people over to the table. Uh, this campaign already backed, so... You'll probably be able to get this retail. They say that, you know, the abacuses are not going to be available retail, but I'm sure you'll be able to pick up a Kickstarter copy somewhere. This might be something for you. Check it out. It's on Kickstarter right now. All right, Anthony. So that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Those are the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table, and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and back those games, if those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are dodge and they should avoid them, or if those games the dreaded burn, it's just another 2020 story, my friend. What do you have up for us this week? All right, so I finally, finally got a chance to play The Magnificent. Ooh. This is a game that came out at Essen last year, and they just finally shipped it here in the U.S. like three or four weeks ago. So my copy came in, I think, right before I left uh, on vacation. So I got a chance to play it last week. And one of the reasons I was so excited about this is that it's the designers of Santa Maria, which is a fantastic game with little polyominoes and dice. And honestly, I feel like somewhere along the lines, I read something where it was like, oh, it's kind of like that. You know, they're iterating on that formula. They're not really. This game is fairly different. Um, it does use dice and there is a common pool that you're drafting from. But other than that, a lot of the mechanics are very different. The basic idea of the game is fairly simple. You have... Uh, three rounds and each of those rounds you're going to get four dice actions and what you do is you roll a big pool of dice they're all different colors and you're going to take one of those and you're going to place it on one of the cards that you have in front of you and these cards are going to change throughout the game each of them has an action on it at the top of the card you'll take that immediately and then based on the power of the die you took and the color of the die you'll take one of three possible actions so the way it works is if you already have, let's say you have an orange die already down on an old card, you took that action already earlier in the round, and you take another orange die, 
you add them together. So if you had a four and then you take a five, you now have a power of nine that you can work with for this particular action. And so the more powerful the action is, the more you can do with it. You can build stuff, which is taking the polyominoes, there are polyominoes, and placing them on your camp board and basically just trying to fill in these different sections. There's nine of them and you fill those in, you get bonus points at the end. There's also icons on the sheet. If you cover them up, you get the bonus represented by the icon. There are also these poster cards that you're trying to complete. And these will basically say, if you have these particular tiles within your camp, um, complete this, which is a separate action that you'll take uh, with the perform action. But you need to keep that in mind when you're building. You can travel, which is moving around these uh, three rondelles. There's one for each of the colors. And each gem you pass uh, when you do this, you gain into your uh, personal tableau. And then you can also pick up these tent tiles, which you put down on your sheet. And those let you complete more performances, basically, at, at once. So you could theoretically, you know, at the beginning of the game, you could only do one performance because you only have the one tent pre-printed on your sheet. But later on, if you've gone and done the travel action a few times, you can do two, three, four of them if you have a high enough power when you go to perform. So the basic concept of the game is just draft a die, place it on a card, take that action. That's it. You do that 12 times in the game, and that that ends it, right? There are a lot of actions that chain together. So, you know, you hear 12 actions, you're like, oh, that's really, that's really tight, right? But you do get to do quite a few things with that. You also get to score at the end of each of the rounds. So the cards that you're placing the dice on each have a scoring mechanic at the bottom of them. And you're going to score all the cards you have at the end of the game uh, at half strength. But if you want to score them at full strength, you have to do it at the end of one of the three rounds. And so you're trying to manipulate and manage those as best as you can as well. There's a few other mechanics mixed in there as well. You can get some bonus tiles that you can place your little workers on uh, to give you boosts uh, when you take your actions. And the all sorts of additional bonuses that kind of come up on the board as well. But the basic idea, yeah, draft the die, take the action, pay for the action. So uh, the biggest number that you have in front of you so like if that orange nine i mentioned if that's the most powerful action you have out of all the color of dice that you took you'll pay nine for your worker uh cost at the end of the round so didn't have any trouble paying that so it wasn't really an issue uh the solo game of this is pretty solid you're just trying to you know get as high of a score as you can within certain ranges based on the difficulty level that you set so that's pretty cool it was Similar to Santa Maria, but not exactly the same, uh, just because of the nature of that game is, lends itself a little bit more towards the solo mode, but I liked it. But yeah, overall, this was a lot of fun. It has everything I like in a game. It's got dice drafting and allocation. It has polyominoes that you place out. It has some like uh, tableau style um, components where and all the systems kind of mixed together. It's really good. I don't think I like it better than Santa Maria, but I do like the theme a lot better. So I feel like this one might get played more often because, you know, it's a circus and it's this really trippy, dark, neon type of artwork that you just want to look at because there's just like weird stuff going on. There's like a glowing aardvark or something that's on one of these cards. And then there's like these people doing these crazy different types of things. Like, I don't know what the circuses look like in, you know, over in Europe, but crazy looking. But 
yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's definitely a solid play. It's a borderline buy for me. I don't know if it's quite there, but I need to play it more to see, you know, what the replayability looks like. It seems high, but it's a relatively short game too. So it's not the heaviest thing in the world, but I do enjoy it quite a bit and I'm glad I waited for it and it finally showed up. So (laughs) uh, the magnificent, check that one out. Yeah. I remember seeing this at PAX Unplugged and was really intrigued early on about it because again, like you said, it had a very unusual look, a very dark yet neon kind of aesthetic to it. And as you mentioned, the mechanics were pretty familiar but there was a pretty big line for this, so I actually never got this to the table. So, yeah, hopefully one day I actually will. All right, so I want to talk about a small family game that I was able to get to the table. This is Ticket to Ride New York. It's all about transportation on Manhattan Isle and utilizing the Ticket to Ride mechanics in a quick place 15 to 20 minute board game. If you haven't played Ticket to Ride and where have you been, it's basically a gateway game in which you'll be collecting tickets of a certain color in order to place down your transportation between different routes. And then you'll have these special route cards that'll give you additional bonus points if you're able to connect one spot all the way over to the other spot. You match the colors to what's on the board, score points, and that's pretty much it. It's a great game if you've never played Ticket to Ride. Now, Ticket to Ride comes in a large number of variations. Huge, super expensive deluxe editions to really kind of crunchy stock mechanics. There's just a lot of different versions of Ticket to Ride. This version, as I mentioned, is a 15 to 20 minute quick playing Ticket to Ride game. So basically, it utilizes the same mechanics you're given two route cards to start with. You could take two, you could take one, and basically you're trying to score as many points as possible. Choose the cards from the tableau. Now, in this game, we're not using trains, even though New York does have its own subway system and train system, but basically you're using different forms of vehicle transportation. The cabs themselves are the wild cards in this game, And basically, you're collecting up what colors you need in order to put together those routes. What's a little different here is that there are certain scenic areas that will give you additional victory points if you're able to connect those routes together. So regardless if they're on a card or not, if you're able to connect to those spots, you'll gain additional victory points. It just adds a little more to the game, especially if you have not collected enough route cards and you just want to score some additional points at the end of the game. The production is quite good. This is a big box store game, and basically it meets all the expectations of Ticket to Ride in a kind of smaller version. It doesn't have nearly the complexity of the other Ticket to Rides, but again, what this is is a quick playing, introductory type of, I don't know, filler game, so to speak. Nice colors in the game. They're all pastels. You got purple in the game, which is nice. Good overall production, Days of Wonder. It's about 15 bucks, and I'm going to give it a solid play. It's a good filler game if you have, like, again, 15, 20 minutes, or if you're trying to introduce someone to gaming, and that giant ticket-to-ride board might be too much for them to kind of swallow, this is a really good place to start. Ticket-to-ride New York. Definitely check it out. Yeah, my kids love this one. It's uh, They're both capable of playing like a big box ticket to ride, but it's just a little bit too long to hold their attention. Yeah. So 
they much prefer this one because yeah 15 20 minutes knock it out if they really want to keep playing we'll play it again but we rarely make it all the way through the deck in the full ticket to ride because they're just like all right we get it we're making trains i'm gonna go can we be done now (laughs) all right so what we have for you for this week's feature review is our seventh year anniversary of this past year's greatest acquisition disorders greatest at the tables and greatest feature reviews so basically everything that was great this past year so anthony it's been seven years what do you think what do you have to say about it man it was going great year seven (laughs) was, was killing it up until uh march this year why what happened you know, stuff happened. <laughs> Things, stuff. Things happened. Yeah. Things stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of hard. Like, this last year has been, like, probably the least board gaming I've done since we started this thing. Because I did go to Gen Con last year, but that's the last convention I went to and probably will be for another year. So sure. I haven't, in this seventh year, didn't really do anything. Didn't go anywhere. Um, you and I hung out. And uh, that's about it uh, in terms of like us in the podcast. Um, obviously, I was doing a lot of gaming here locally before everything shut down. We had our 10 by 10 that I talked about earlier in the year, learned a bunch of new like 18xx and that kind of stuff. But just in terms of actually sitting down and getting to play at a regular basis, it's been a rough year for that. So it's it's hard to grade it <laughs> in any sense of the word other than to say, we're making it, man. We're making it. Sure. 2020 obviously has been a very difficult year for all of us. I guess the silver lining, if there is one, is there's been so many online gaming opportunities that I would have never taken advantage of beforehand. There's been some people that always play online gaming, maybe play async so they can kind of jump in, play a move, and then jump out. But it honestly was never really my thing. I've played a number of different games over the years, but it just never been kind of like a solid, yeah, let's, of course we're going to be playing something online and it's become part of my regular rotation. And I really do enjoy it a great deal. There's nothing like being able to just jump into a game instead of spending, you know, 15, 20 minutes setting up and then an hour with the rules, like the game is ready to go. So that's been pretty fantastic. We had a really good opportunity. Last time you and I played, we played a lot of games and I guess this year, in particular, they've been a lot more heavy. It seems like the games have tended to go much, much heavier. For me, not 18 double X heavy, but definitely a lot grander. I think Kickstarter really has established itself as the kind of place to go when you're looking for the hotness. So the boards have gotten bigger, the components have gotten more extravagant, and things have gotten much, much more expensive. (laughs) For the games at the table. It used to be like, hey, that game's 40 to $50. That's crazy. And now it's like, oh, I, here's the game from Kickstarter. It was $150. you are like, yeah, all right. So just another $150 game, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So it's 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 been a scene. It's been a scene, man. It's been a crazy scene, man. I mean, usually going to game night has really been one of those kind of like epic game, epic game, epic game. Even if it's not that large that heavy the games have been that you know profound so we're gonna talk about all that but my friend another year another year uh again thanks to you 
And thanks to everyone who listens. It means so much to us that you listen to all of these episodes. When you do podcasting, it's out into the void and you never know who's listening. And you hope that people are listening because it means a lot to us because you mean a lot to us. So again, thank you again for listening to us for the last seven years. And here's to another year. All right, Anthony. So let's get on to the best of the year. Let's start off with our acquisition disorders of the year. What do you have for up for us? All right. Yeah, this is always fun. I, I love going back through the lists and thinking like, oh, was there any game that would like really <laughs> capture my attention? I don't really remember. And then you're like, oh, yeah, there was a bunch. Okay, <laughs> I got to narrow this down now. So for acquisition disorder, I picked a couple. One is because this game was like top of mind for months before it actually got into my hands. And that was the crew. So this is not some secret game that only I've gotten to play. Obviously, it won the Kenner Spiel. Everybody's playing it. It's amazing. But the first time I got to play this was a friend had made a handmade copy with just a deck of playing cards and some like little pieces of paper he cut up. And we played it at a whiskey party uh, for someone's birthday party, like back in November or December. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? This is amazing. And then it was like, just trying to find information. I'm like, are they ever going to bring it over here? Stupid Cosmos, tell me what you're doing. And so, yeah, this one definitely hit the acquisition disorder early and was on my radar for a very long time until finally got a chance to play it um, for real and got my own copy and everything. And then, of course, it wins all the awards and now nobody can find it again. So <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to go back and listen to that, that was episode 254 for acquisition disorder. Uh, I also reviewed it later on, but... We've talked about it a lot, I think, at this point. The other one I wanted to mention, because as soon as I heard about it, I was a million percent on board. Didn't know anything about it. All we have is like a picture of the cover. And that's Castles of Tuscany, the new Stefan Feld game. And so this is like a sequel to Castles of Burgundy. He says it's lighter. Uh, it's not going to be as a heavier game. He's like, I think he called it like a Kennerspiel Plus in terms of weight. So it can be a little bit lighter. I think it's designed to play faster so you can play multiple times. And the rule book went up last week. So I was reading through that and it looks really interesting. So I obviously any new Stefan Feld game I'm excited for. And there's a lot of interesting Stefan Feld news this year. But this is the one that caught my attention the most, like back way back in like episode 259. So beginning of the year and has held it the longest. I'm just waiting for information. I check periodically. I bookmark that page. And so now the information is finally starting to drip out and it's exciting. So definitely looking forward to that one showing up soon. I think the pre-orders just went up. So. Yeah, those sound really interesting, especially a faster Castles of Burgundy, although I'm not really thrilled about the lighterness of what, you know, it's become generally not necessarily a gateway game, but kind of like gateway Euro game, I guess. So, Yeah. I mean, seems like it's going to be the year of Feld for uh, 2020, 2021. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I think he's trying to go for like that Carpe Diem weight. Like get, he got the Kennerspiel nomination for that. And I think from what he just described to this and reading the rules, it sounds like it's in that ballpark, which I'm fine with. I love that game. And his games that are lighter tend not to be as sprawling and point salady that turns off some people. Sure. I like that, but a lot of people don't. It makes it harder to get them played. So if it's more playable, great. <laughs> makes sense since they recently re-released Castles of Burgundy. So I guess he's got that nailed down. So might as well do something 
you know, somewhat different. All right, so my acquisition disorders for 2020 are Kickstarter acquisition disorders, and they're pretty diverse, actually, in fact. So first up, Kemet, Blood and Sand. Now, Kemet's a game that I was able to borrow from a friend a long time ago and got a chance to play it, really liked it a lot, and actually got a lot of table time with it. In fact, it was the game that first introduced me to our friend Chris Champ, and he was like, hey, that looks cool, I want to play that. And I'm like, yeah, we should play that. And I don't think we actually ever played the game together, <laughs> nonetheless, but that was the introduction. Uh, one of the challenges and one of the great things about this Kickstarter was Kemet was out of print, on and off, and mostly off for quite some time. They had their expansions that came out, but it was just really hard to get your hands on. I never really was thrilled, and I kind of made that known about the uh, board artwork, but Matigo has always done a tremendous job. So when I heard that this was coming out on Kickstarter, I was really, really excited about this. And this was kind of a big, big kind of acquisition disorder for me personally. And I talked about this way back on episode 275. In addition to that, they tweaked the rules, which I always like to see because and again, I'm not a game designer, but I'm assuming once the game gets out there and like so many people get to play it, you get more feedback and maybe they break a combo. Maybe there's some problems or issues. They fix things, which is great. There are new miniatures, better, bigger, more detailed miniatures, which is great. And again, I mentioned this before, there is new artwork for the board. So I was really happy about this. This game also kind of clarifies some of the rules and some of the issues that the game had previously the kickstarter also comes with tile displays which are basically these racks that hold the tiles if you've not seen the game a lot of the game is purchasing these different little tiles that will give you special abilities throughout the game but laying them out actually takes a lot of time so actually having them kind of like already loaded up is fantastic there's a lot of other cool stuff. I'll let you listen to the episode and hear my, my thoughts about the acquisition disorder. But I also want to mention that they released a Cthulhu, I guess straight up Cthulhu expansion for the game, which some people were upset about for many different reasons. And the designers and the publishers at Matigo listened and they actually made it so it was still available, still, you know, relatively inexpensive, but they also actually made something that fit more of the actual theme and not just have a Cthulhu theme slapped onto the game. So you could buy the Cthulhu stuff. You could get it with the normal stuff. Either way, it's great. On top of which, they just had a lot of extra cool stuff on this. And in the end, even though I was not interested in buying all the cool stuff, the fact that the company went above and beyond to really take what the community was saying about their game to heart in a very good way and make positive changes. I felt like they deserved it. I backed everything and I'm looking forward to it. I also want to mention really quickly another expansion here. This is COVID-19 Pandemic, the Deluxe Clinic Edition. So we already talked about Clinic, one of my favorite games of the year, a game by Alvin Villard, uh, artwork by Ian O'Toole, a nice, heavy, crunchy game that was on Kickstarter. This version, this expansion version, is a co-op, and it's all about tackling the difficult situation, the difficult virus that we're actually currently dealing with. On top of which, this was not some cash-in offensive kind of situation. 
he's actually donating the uh, the proceeds of this to actually clinics to actually help treat people who are dealing with COVID. Uh, his wife is also a nurse. She works in the hospital system. So this is really close and personal to him. So I love the idea that he saw what was going on. He knew he had a game that was around that area and decided to make a co-op version that people can play at a very, very inexpensive price. He could have made a lot of money off this and he didn't go crazy. And most, if not uh, all of the profits here are going to uh, medical services. So yeah, two great Kickstars this year and love, love the fact that they're listening and doing something for the fans out there. Yeah, yeah, I back both of these as well. So I, I'm 100% on board with everything you said there because <laughs> Kemet is fantastic. I actually backed this over the new Eric Lane game just because I know Kemet. I love Kemet and it, it just jumped out at me. It's like a really solid deal. And then, yeah, the Clinic Deluxe is fantastic. Album Yard's games in general are fantastic. So definitely excited to get more of this and just it was a cool way he was running that yeah so uh if you want to listen to that acquisition disorder that was on episode 270 all right anthony so those are the acquisition disorders that rocked us how about the games that hit the table hit the table hard this year yeah i mean i think the first one i have to kick off with is the one that i bemoaned for months after they announced it was marvel champions the card game so (laughs) (laughs) they announced this as their new LCG fantasy flight did um, last summer. And I was immediately down on it. And I was like, ah, this is just a cash in. They're just using the Lord of the Rings system. And they're just trying to like make some money off of it. All of that's probably still true, but the game is also good. So (laughs) it was one of those things. Like when I got to Gen Con, I got a chance to sit down and play it. I was like, Oh, I like this a lot. It's, a streamlined version of these, this system that I love, you know, and it's, you know, if you want the story in the system, you go with the Arkham route. If you just want the combat and the mechanics, Marvel champions all day, because it's just all about finding the right combos and playing with the different heroes. And when I got it, I was like, Oh, I really like this. And I was actually the only person who pre-ordered a copy at my local store. I was like, this thing's going to die. Nobody seems to like it. And it's picked up a lot of steam. And I think part of that is a lot of people went to pick it up like early in the year, especially around that time of COVID hitting. And they're just like, "Ah, this is a good solo game. I could play at home. Everything sold out. It was impossible to find it all. And they had to reprint everything. So I know right now it's one of the more popular games that they have. And they have, with the exception of the two months they didn't ship anything, they've released content for it every single month. So I think right now we're up to like 10 or so heroes, maybe a little bit more and five or six villains. Um, there's a big like story expansion coming out um, uh, with the Red Skull and, and all that, which I'm really excited for. I think that comes out next month. And then a whole bunch of new content on the way for the next, I don't know, forever, I guess, because <laughs> that's what they do. Like Guardians of the Galaxy is their next big box expansion next year. I love it. I, it's just one of those games that I think I've played it more now than Arkham, probably, even though I own all of that, just because it's easy to sit down and play it's fun it's quick it's you know just scratches that itch in a way that something that is a little bit bigger and a little more story oriented has a trouble doing and anytime i need to check a rule that rule book's like seven pages long so it's not crazy complicated like a lot of their games tend to be it's just very straightforward very simple uh and it's just yeah really hit really hard and it's not what i expected at all so it was kind of fun to have that one come out on top 
So you can hear my full review of that and Chris making fun of me on episode 246. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's going to be that one card game every fall where I'm like, yeah. And you're like, really? <laughs> um, the other game is one that I I did at the table on this the week after we did our birthday anniversary episode last year. And it probably would have made that because I loved it so much. And that's Watergate. So this was on episode 236. This was almost my game of the year last year. It was like way up there in my top 10 because it's just such a good, quick, asymmetrical two-player game, right? It reminds me of 1960, of Twilight Struggle, of all these big, meaty, long, asymmetrical two-player games, but it takes 45 minutes. And every single time I've played it, it's been a little bit different. The outcome is always a little bit different. It did seem for a long time like... uh, the game was very one-sided, but I think it just ended up being this significant coincidence in my gameplay because having played it more, it hasn't really happened every single time. But like the first eight times I played it, the journalist won every single time. So I was worried about it for a bit. Uh, but yeah, Watergate's just such a solid two-player game. And its theme does, you know, it's very political. It's very uh, historical. And so it has a, a niche audience, but... It is definitely one of my favorite two-player games now on top of that list and was one of my top games of last year. So in terms of games coming out of nowhere and surprising me and exciting me, this was well up there on the list last year. Yeah, I'm going to continue to make fun of you about Marvel card games because I played it. It's good, but it's okay. But let me... I don't know. I mean... Chris and I talked about this a little bit. They mentioned that they're going to have these kind of like two hero team up situations. So Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, where if you play both of them in a game, they kind of do some combos together. So maybe that game kind of like offers some new mechanics, but I'm, I'm open to it a little bit. Watergate's been pretty fantastic. I'm, I'm really surprised that such a small game could be so interesting and dynamic and just asymmetrical like in a real asymmetrical type of way and just a lot of fun so yeah that's that's probably one of the best games of the year in my book it's just a really surprising game and again you don't have to know anything about watergate or really even be interested in the political intrigue of the time try it i think you'll definitely like it and again i wouldn't be surprised maybe someday if they reskinned it Yes, Watergate's great. Marvel Champions is also great. Just saying. <laughs> if you only played it once, you only played one hero. So you don't even know. Like, they're all different. They all have different mechanics. Yeah, I mean, it's punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick kind of thing. But okay. No, they're different. Yeah, different. yeah. Right. <laughs> Some of them are really interesting. Some of them okay. I can't even play solo because they're really more support characters. It's good. Sure. It's a good game. Sure. <laughs> Well, eventually we'll get it back to the table. I don't own a copy, so I can't speak any more to it, but I'm sure it's great. All right. Yes. So let me talk about some games that I was able to get to the table this past year and tell you why they're great. So it turns out that the two games that I'm going to talk about this past year that were super, super amazing aren't actually, in fact, two expansions. Not terribly surprising because I'm a big fan of expansions. In fact, I am that guy who actually buys the expansion when he buys the base game or sometimes buys the expansion going, I'll eventually buy the base game because, you know, obviously you need it to play. But nonetheless, 
First up, food chain magnet, the catch-up mechanism, and other ideas. One of the most interesting, hilarious, and odd, and right-on-the-ball kind of mechanics ever kind of put into a board game. So food chain magnet would take an hour to explain it to you. And I think you, <laughs> it might work better if you jump back to episode 256 when we actually talked about the expansion then. But Fuche Magnet's a very, very large economic game, has some really interesting mechanics going into it. What you really want to take away from this is it's one of those splatter games that if you haven't played a splatter game before, splatter games tend to be terribly unforgiving. So if you make... A mistake early on you are going to pay for it throughout the game this expansion kind of loosens that up a bit it doesn't take away the splatterness of it so to speak but nonetheless it adds a number of different milestones so you're not set into those particular strategies it adds coffee so there's another way to kind of play the game out a little bit differently there's lobbyists there's different foods so it's not just the typical burgers and pizza kind of thing. There's kimchi, there's sushi, there's noodles. All those different foods do different things. There's new ways to kind of complete what certain families are looking for. It's just a dramatically, dramatically better game. I mean, Fuche Magnet, it's a great game to begin with. And it's one of those games where if you hear there's an expansion coming for it and you saw the price, you would think you would be crazy to pick this up. But honestly, it makes a great game somehow even better. And it's something that I hope gets to the table much, much more. I enjoyed the game a lot more than I did the original Fuchain Magnet. Next up is another kind of multi-expansion module situation. This was Tricarion's Collector's Edition. This was a Kickstarter that came out back in 2019 I already own Tricarion, and it has a Dark Alley kind of expansion to it, which is a must-play for the game itself. If you haven't played Tricarion, and especially if you haven't played the expansion, again, I recommend jumping back to episode 258. It's definitely worth your time. Tricarion was all about these wondrous steampunk magicians and everything they did to put on great shows on stage. Wonderful production from Mind Clash Games, my favorite game from Mind Clash Games, Kind of heavy, 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 but nonetheless, a lot, a lot of fun. You know, sometimes when you play heavy games, it's all like, well, my, you know, my planning from three hours ago finally paid off, and that spreadsheet is going to pay off for me. But here, every bit of this game is just wonderment. But the game had some kind of problems here and there, and Mind Clash games sometimes have some of those issues. This module expansion that came with actually fixed a lot of things. So first off, it gave you more magicians, more powers, special powers for those unique magicians. It gave you a bunch of really cool, just like upgrades to your different pieces and obviously a giant box to go with it. But adding the academy where you could actually utilize your tricks once they kind of like lost their luster was great because early in the game when you build these tricks, you're really excited about them, but they're only scoring you a couple of points and you have to get rid of them. And it really never felt like it was, you know, interesting or dynamic or even thematic. But now you had this trick, you played it on stage, it got all this acclaim for it. Why not take it to the academy and school, still score points or resource off of it by teaching Apprentice 
how they do can do that trick. So love that. Love all the different add-ons to this game. It really does make it a full, complete experience. And it's a game that, despite its huge bigness on the table, is really a lot of fun. Not to mention, again, like I said, you're training people up. It's a little abstract, but you can actually get an apprentice yourself. And then actually they'll gain magical powers as the game goes on. So a lot of fun. Really, really a great game. Epic game for the year. I have both of these as well, and I've yet to play either. So I'm just going to believe you. It's, <laughs> it's hard because we made um, Food Chain Magnet was one of our uh, 10 by 10 games. And uh-huh. we decided early that like oh okay we'll um we'll play it a few times normal before we mix in the expansion and then you know covid and whatnot so we never play the expansion so that sucks (laughs) so what you're saying is 2020 took out your 10 by 10 it did (laughs) stupid 2020 (laughs) stupid mathematically interesting connection to our 10 by 10 I don't know. It, yeah, it, it didn't work. And carry on. Uh, that box is too big and I can't carry it anywhere. So I've yet to play that. <laughs> so. Gotcha. All right. So, Anthony, those were our acquisition disorders and those were at the tables. Let's talk about our favorite features from this past year. So what was your favorite feature, Anthony? My favorite feature was uh, a snarky little thing we did with our top 10 most ridiculous components. And we went through and we found some ridiculous, over-the-top, silly components. And I I thought this would even be better to talk about here because you just mentioned Arcana Rising with its abacus. And that would make a great addition to this list when we update it next time. So <laughs> the idea here was these are components that are too big to just ridiculous in general like the, why is this in the game does it need to be in the game why is it like this so just running it down real quick we had the buildings and tapestry specifically the big ones that are big for no reason the bell and hamburgum the trees in ishtar the guillotine in guillotine the volcano in downfall of pompeii the big cardboard tree in everdell which actually makes it harder to read the cards. Like it looks cool, but it actually hurts the gameplay. Um, Thanos in the middle of Thanos rising. And I guess that goes for any of the rising games. Cause they've reskinned this like four times now. Stone age dice cup, the ridiculously oversized player boards for new frontiers. And then the spoiler alert for charter stone, the candle. It was just fun. It was fun to make the list. It took actually a bit of time to make this list. And then just to go through and think like, oh, yeah, why is this in the game? Why do we need a giant cardboard tree? Like, what does that do? I mean, it makes great table presence. People come over and talk about it. It's a good marketing tool. But what does it actually do for the gameplay? You know, why do we need these ridiculous oversized, like sculpted painted buildings for tapestry? And the game now costs $100. Like, why is this the way it is? So. It was, yeah, it was fun. It's a little snarky, but I think mostly it was in tongue in cheek. We like most of these games. We own most of these games. So it's just like a, why, why do these exist? <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting to see what a company or designer decides to kind of put their money into. Obviously, there is a lot of games out there and you do want to get people's attention. So 
anything you could do to kind of stand out amongst the crowd is always a good thing. And I think way back when we did our top components, uh, March Madness, and looked at the best things out there. So, yeah, this is a little snarky, but it's always kind of fun just to just, you know, have like literally those cartoon question marks pop over your head when you see a component that just like, huh? Why? Uh, maybe? I don't know. Uh. So you go through all of those <laughs> weird stages of emotion as you see these things hit the table and you're like, I guess? So there is a really fun list. So definitely check that out. So my favorite feature from this past year is BGA's Games of the Decade. I don't know why we haven't done this before, but we went back over the last decade of games, and obviously we were very active in the industry, playing games, reviewing games and such, and took a look at the best years of board gaming out there. This was episode 252, and we took a look at every year, every great game that year, and which years really stood out. Now, probably be too long to go through everything for you, but my favorite year was 2010. Had games such as Seven Wonder, Dominant Species, Hanabi, Twa, Rune Wars, and Defenders of the Realm. And Anthony's favorite year was 2016, which had Scythe, Terraforming Mars, Star Wars Rebellion, Arkham, the horror card game, A Feast of Odin. There is a decade of great games. So if you haven't Listen to our episodes previously, or this is your first episode and you want to know what the best games are and what you should be picking up, this is a fantastic episode because a lot of these games are still in print, still around, and definitely at a great price. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun because it was one of those things like when you're looking through the lists of games that came out in a given year, you're like, you don't really remember when things hit. Some of them you do because they were a big deal or buying it was a big deal or finding it was a big deal but most of the time it's just like i don't know when that came out i just remember playing it around this time you're like oh man all these games came out together within a few months of each other that's crazy yeah so yeah it was kind of cool to do all right so there it is our seventh year anniversary again thank you to everyone for listening thank you all especially our patreon backers for helping support us getting us through all these seven years there's been a lot of costs there's been a lot of time there's been a lot of challenges throughout the year and it means so much to us that you keep listening keep supporting us and especially keep telling people about the podcast we'll be back with you next week with a brand new episode and a new year of bga until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we've been saving you a seat for seven years here's on to number eight It's your birthday, happy birthday, it's your birthday.